The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. chapter opens with this very terse statement. There was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. Famine comes when believers become unbelievers. Famine comes when God's people no longer seek and hunger after Jesus. 
Famine comes when the church and the pastor begin to pander to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. There is a famine in the churches of America. There is a famine in America. There is a great famine where people are now running from the church and running from what America used to be. It used to be a hill with a light on the top. It used to be a place of righteousness, of holiness, but no longer. America has become in scriptures Moab. Moab means fornication. Moab means a place of death, a land of pleasure, a place of idolatry, a place where men die. Moab is the descriptor of our land, of America, and of our churches in America. As the churches go in America, so will the land go. The whole nation will go. This family of Naomi's, the husband and the two sons, because of the famine, went to Moab. It was not long until the husband died. Remember, Moab is a place of death. For another ten years, Naomi and her two sons live in Moab. And then she hears the wonderful news that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, and he was once more providing food for them. And so Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepare to return home. The husband has died. The two sons have died. It's just the women who are left. I want to tell you, the famine is over. There is bread in Bethlehem. There is bread at the National Prayer Chapel, and there is bread on this broadcast. What is the bread? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread. I want to share with you today some brief comments in a book written by my pastor, David Wilkerson, from the Times Square Church in New York City. He has now passed. I grieve his his loss. I miss him terribly. He was my pastor. I want to share with you some comments that he wrote in his book, Hungry for More of Jesus. He writes, Word has gotten out that God is visiting his people. And I want to get that word out. God is visiting the National Prayer Chapel. 
New believers are coming. Young people are coming. People are coming and they're they're hungry for Jesus. The famine is over if you choose to leave Moab. If you choose to leave the land of fornication and pleasure. If you choose to leave the world. Now he writes. If you have not yet tasted the heavenly manna, then get out of Moab and go to where God is visiting his people. This is exactly what Naomi's two daughters-in-law planned to do. You see, Naomi's name means grace. And following their mother-in-law was a way of following God's grace. It represented a move away from living in the world and a move toward living by the grace of Jesus. They were being drawn by the Spirit of God. They were attracted by the news of his visitation in Bethlehem. And today, in the same way, you are invited to come home back to the fullness of Jesus Christ, away from the hype, away from the compromise, away from the heart, half-heartedness and emptiness of a gospel of ease and prosperity. You are invited to leave the gospel of the sinning Christian and gain the full victory in Jesus Christ and come to understand who he is and what he has done for you, the power of his blood. He continues, The sad thing is that many who plan to return to God stop at the border. They don't break loose totally. They don't pay the price. He writes, I've seen this happen to Hundreds of people in our church, they start out with great fervor, claiming to be hungry for Jesus, but then they get hung up at the border between Moab and Judah and turn back to their old ways. Likewise, in Scripture, when Orpha and Ruth reached the border, they faced a decision. Would they follow Naomi? That is... God's grace, that's what Naomi means, grace. Would they follow Naomi on the very difficult journey all the way into the fullness of our Lord? Their names offer a clue to the answer of whether they will or will not go all the way. One daughter-in-law's name is Orpha. It means stiff-necked. The other daughter-in-law's name was Ruth, meaning friend or companion. A confrontation took place at the border. Now, may I say a confrontation always takes place at the border. As soon as a person makes the decision... I think I'm going to follow Jesus. All kinds of trouble will begin to break out in that person's life. 
if that person is a young woman and she lives with her boyfriend, he will begin to get angry and jealous of her commitment to follow Jesus. When she begins to tell him that this means no more sexual activity until they're married, he will become very upset. When a man decides that he will follow Jesus all the way, and it means that he must leave his worldly church, where he feels so immersed in love and comfort and everything is just fine, problem is there's no Jesus there. There's no real righteousness there. There's no, there's no power to overcome sin in that church. And now he must make a decision. Will he become uncomfortable and go on the journey? Or will he turn back to his comfortable church and his sin? One man came to the prayer chapel, hungry and eager to follow Jesus. He said, Pastor, I don't understand. I went to my pastor, a mega church here in the Washington, D.C. area. He said, I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, I've been here for this long and I still have no victory over my drug addiction. I need victory over this drug addiction. And the pastor said, my brother, don't worry about it. You're saved. You've accepted Jesus. You're on your way to heaven. Don't worry about your drug addiction. This man said to me, is that true, pastor? Am I saved in the midst of my drug addiction? Is it okay that I'm addicted and I'm saved at the same time? I said, my brother, you cannot be addicted to your drugs and saved at the same time. The blood of Jesus can set you free of that addiction. Well, he said, I have a problem. What's that? He said, my wife loves our mega church. And she doesn't want to change and come to a church that preaches righteousness. She's listened to some of your broadcasts, and she's uncomfortable with what you're saying. She likes our worldly church. So now, do I have to make a decision between coming to a place where I am confronted with Jesus and with righteousness, or do I remain in my comfortable church with my wife and know that they're telling me it's okay, I can go to heaven with my sin. Well, he came to the border like Naomi and Ruth and Orpha. David Wilkerson continues, For Orpha and Ruth, the decision to go on would require more than emotions and mere words. Naomi could guarantee them no rewards for following, no prosperity, no ease or success. She could offer only a clear vision of the high cost ahead. She described her homeland as a place of suffering and poverty, a land that offered nothing of earthly goods. They would have to exist only on a walk of faith. The picture was so bleak that Naomi encouraged them both to return to their own mother's houses 
that they may find rest in Ruth 1.9. Now, please understand, Naomi is not telling them the full truth. Naomi's heart is embittered by what she has undergone. She is embittered by the loss of her husband and her two sons. In fact, she is going to later tell the people in the house of bread, call me Mara, call me bitter. The truth is that there is bread in the house of God and there is victory in the house of God and there is provision in the house of God and there is joy everlasting in the house of God. But the picture Naomi presented is indeed a part of the gospel of God's grace. There is suffering, there is self-denial, and there is a cross. And Orpha and, and Ruth both steadfastly remained, on the surface at least, saying, we're going to go with you. And they lift up their voices and they weep, As she says to them, go back to your people. I don't have anything to offer you. And Orpha, in spite of her river of tears, in spite of her strong words that I'm going to follow, she was going to drop out. And she was going to return to her idolatry, her worldly love. Outwardly, she was broken and tender of heart. She loved her mother-in-law. She loved Ruth. She wanted to be a part of the move of God. Her heart was gripped powerfully by her love for her old circle of friends and family. It was an idol that remained in her heart. She wanted to go with Ruth. She wanted to go with Naomi. But she loved her old life in death. She was hung up at the border. I fear that many of you who are listening to this broadcast today are hung up at the border. You'd like to come to the prayer chapel, but it's too far to drive. You'd like to come to the prayer chapel where there's a straight, honest word of God being preached, where there's a loving people who will help you gain victory, but you love your old circle of friends. Your wife doesn't want to come, or your husband doesn't want to come. You're hung up at the border. So Orpha weeps at the border. She's torn between two loves. She sincerely wants to go on, and she loves the precious fellowship of the two women. But she has not yet cut her ties to Moab. 
What have you not cut your ties to yet? You will not come to the prayer chapel. You will not come to a place where there's a straight word of God preached. As long as you get hung up at the border and you're unwilling to cut the ties to your old life. It's impossible for a person to come to the prayer chapel and continue to comfortably live a life of rebellion and sin outside of the prayer chapel. When you come to the prayer chapel, you have to cut those ties. You have to cut the ties to fornication, pornography. You have to cut the ties to the love of the world, to the love of money. You have to cut the ties to the partying friends who want you to go out and get drunk with them. You have to let Jesus clean you up and wash you and cleanse you and make you into a new person. Tears are never enough. Naomi knew this and put the two younger women to the final test. Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go. I believe Naomi saw Orpha's heart. I believe she saw into her inner struggle. Naomi probably thought to herself, the poor child, she thinks she wants the Lord's fullness, but she's still charmed by the world. She would be miserable if she went on because she would always be looking back. So Naomi said to Orpha, Go your way. Orpha then must have reached a decision in her heart. She'd probably ask herself, Is this really the only option? Rejection? Poverty? Separation from all I've ever known? No! I'm going to go back to Moab and serve God my own way. Oh, I'll still love Naomi and and Ruth. But I've got to get on with my life. The scriptures say they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law. An original manuscript adds to the sentence, and went back. Perhaps some of you, as you're hearing this, you may be thinking of kissing your brothers and sisters in Christ goodbye. Something in your heart could be pulling you away, perhaps a circle of old friends or the lure of old habits. Orpha went back to her people and to her gods. Ruth 1, verse 15. Your heart, too, can be gripped by an idol from your past, something you just think you can't let go of. You see, there's no middle ground for the Christian. 
the line has been drawn, and we can move in only one of two directions, either forward toward Judah or backward toward Moab. Orpha turned back, and from this point on in Scripture, she is never heard from again. She fades away into the shadows of her idolatry, having nothing more to do with God's work or his eternal kingdom. I am desperately concerned for America today. After this day, America will never be the same again. We are facing a very severe question. Will America choose a way of escape from the wickedness of the past? Or will we choose to go off the deep end into total idolatry, fornication, and every wicked thing that Satan has brought to this nation? It seems we live in a nation where the leadership, if they're talking, they're lying. The news media, if they're reporting, they're lying. I have no confidence in our mainstream news media. They deliberately lie, lie, lie. I am also desperately concerned about the churches of America, for they too have lied. They have comforted God's people in the midst of their sin. They have said God doesn't care if you sin or not because you're covered by the blood of Jesus and you're saved. They're lying to you. And many of you, because of this radio broadcast, have been hung up at the border. You've said, I'm going to go all the way with Jesus, and then you began to count the cost, and you began to see how difficult it would be to come to the prayer chapel. You began to see how difficult it would be to leave the love of your heart, the professional sports, the television, the movies, the entertainment of our world. You saw how difficult that would be, and your your comfort has been in the rituals of the church. Your comfort has been in the social arrangements of the church. Your comfort has been in the lie that you can continue to walk in idolatry and still be saved. You have not yet made the decision to be washed in the blood. The famine is over for those of you who do not get hung up at the border, but who are willing to go all the way, all the way with Jesus Christ. But Ruth...
Naomi tried one last time to discourage Ruth, saying in verse 15, return after your sister-in-law. In other words, quick, Ruth, if you hurry, you can catch up with Orpha. Why don't you go and follow after your desire? But Ruth wouldn't let go. She clung to Naomi. This is a picture of a maiden on her knees with her arms around her master's waist as if she will never let go. Ruth wanted the God of heaven. She wanted to take part in the great visitation of the Lord, and only death could stop her now. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Ruth 1, verses 16 to 18. Little did Ruth know at that point that by making the choice to go on, she was placing herself under the sheltering wings of Jehovah, of the Lord Jesus. And more importantly, as soon as she crossed over the border with Naomi, she was on the road to winning the heart of Jesus Christ. There was no signpost to tell her, but she knew where the road led, straight to the heart of Jesus. Soon Ruth and Naomi came to the place of blessing, arriving during the beginning of the harvest season. They were poor, almost stripped bare, not knowing where their next meal would come from. Then young Ruth said, Let me go to the field and glean. Now please hear what I'm trying to say to you today. Are you hung up at the border? Have you only followed Jesus halfway? Are you still walking in your sin, or have you utterly, by the blood of Jesus, gained the victory? Are you in the house of bread? Are you in the house of Jesus? Or are you in the house of the world of Moab, where men die? Will you die before you can get to the house of bread? How long will it take you? Waiting between two opinions, tell me faithfully today, will you follow Jesus Christ all the way and gain the victory over all sin, or will you hang at the border? where you can enjoy the false security of loving Moab 
in having a false sentimental Jesus that has no power. He continues, In those days only the very poor did such work, gleaning. The law commanded field owners not to harvest the four corners of their fields or to glean the rest, that is, gather up the grain missed by the reapers, but to leave the excess available for the poor. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. At this point, it looked as though Ruth had made a poor bargain. Her devotion had led her all the way to the place of God's visitation, yet now she had to sweat over a minimum wage job. She was far below the poverty line, with no future in sight. I urge you, take a good look at Ruth, because this is how you may end up if you break loose from the world and go all the way with God. This was the cross of the Apostle Paul until he died. 1 Corinthians 4, 9-13 through 13. We have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. We both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, persecuted, defamed. We have been made as the filth of the world. Yet Paul had the audacity to say, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 4.16 He said this with good reason. It's the reason we can't feel sorry for someone like Ruth, because she was just about to win Jesus Christ. She went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers, and she happened, the scriptures say, <laughs> to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the family of Elimelech, her dead father-in-law. Happened to end up in the field of Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. This was far from being accidental. It was rather the clear leading of the Holy Spirit, because from the moment Ruth crossed the border and trusted her entire life to God's call, she was led supernaturally by Jesus. And you likewise can be led supernaturally by Jesus if you leave the border and stop hanging halfway and say, I'm going to follow Jesus all the way. Yes, it'll be rough. Yes, there will be hard times. And yes, you will win the heart of Jesus. The scenario must have looked something like this. Ruth, with a song in her heart, passed by many fields, then a sudden urge within compelled her to turn right and start gleaning in the north end of a particular field. A few hours later, Boaz got inspired to check on the harvesting. He looked over the fields and saw numerous young men cutting sheaves and poor maidens gleaning behind them. But then he stopped because his gaze was held by Ruth. 
whose young woman is this, he asked. He was smitten on the spot. She gleaned for only half a day before she caught the eye of her master. That great man walked over to her and said, Don't go to glean in another field, but stay close in the company of my young women. He promised that no one would bother her, and that when she was thirsty she should go and drink from the same container the harvesters had drawn. Later he told the harvesters to drop handfuls of grain on purpose for her to find. Why did Boaz say this to Ruth? Because he was ravished. He was ravished by her. She had stolen his heart. And he wanted to have her near. And what attracted Boaz to Ruth in the first place? Ruth asked that question of him. She said, why should you take notice of me since I'm a stranger? Boaz answered that he'd heard of all she had done for her mother-in-law and how she'd left her own land to join a new people. May a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Boaz was drawn to her because she had come to trust the covering wings of God. Do you see the parallel today? Boaz represented Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. The moment we walk away from all other loves, the moment we let go of all former idols, old friends, old ways, Christ's eyes will fix upon us. That is how we win Jesus Christ. We lose the world and its fleeting glory, its passing pleasures, but we win the eternal love of Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. And when we win his heart, we also win his favor. Never again will we suffer hunger or thirst in our inner man. He will lead us and provide for us in miraculous ways, like Ruth, who ran home to tell Naomi all the exciting things that had happened to her. We will run to the family of God and share miracle after miracle of how the Lord is supplying all of our needs. Each of us will end up saying, Who am I to be so blessed? But this was only the beginning of Ruth's blessing. At the end of the harvest, Naomi directed Ruth to take part in a custom of the times. In that day, servants would sometimes sleep at their master's feet and as fully clothed in order to keep his feet warm. If the master was a near relative, it was his duty to redeem or purchase this servant's inheritance so that it would not be lost. A kinsman signified that he would do this by taking a cloth or covering and putting it over the servant's shoulder, saying, in effect, I will be your covering. So Naomi told Ruth to go to the threshing floor that night. She told her to wash and perfume herself and go and lay down at the feet of Boaz and uncover his feet, knowing that this would cause him to wake. 
That night, Ruth did as Naomi had directed. And when Boaz awoke to find her there, he was pleased. He said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now think about what Boaz was saying. I will do for you all that you have desired. Every desire of Ruth's heart would be granted because she had left the border. She had been faithful. Her eyes were not fixed on wealth, on success or glamour. She'd only wanted him. And in turn, her kinsman redeemer said to her, I can trust you. I can trust your love. You won't leave me for others. No matter how attractive they are, you will be mine. You will be only mine. And I will be yours. So at the gate of Bethlehem, before ten witnesses, Boaz redeemed Ruth's inheritance. He satisfied all claims to her and to her possessions and acquired her as his wife. And this mighty man of wealth married this lowly servant. This is the work of the cross. Jesus has cleared all claims that the devil has on you. We are completely free when we leave the world behind and we follow Jesus. We are completely free of all accusations the devil might make against us. We are free of all past sin. We are washed. We are made clean. After they're married, they have a baby, a son. His name was Obed. He became the great grandfather of King David, from whom Jesus Christ was born. Ruth won the heart of Jesus. He became her very life. Now today, you too can win the heart of Jesus. You can choose to be pleasing to him. But you must make a decision. He must be very clear that you only desire him. You must love him unreservedly. You must hunger for him continually. And we must remember him in every choice we make. We will ask ourselves, will this 
make Jesus happy? Every choice, will this please our master? Will it cause him to say to his angels, See, my love has left all else for me. If we truly hunger for Jesus, we will desire to win his heart, to know his heart. We will abandon ourselves completely to him and rest peacefully under his mighty care. I've been sharing with you today some thoughts from my pastor, David Wilkerson, who wrote the book, Hungry for More of Jesus. I can tell you now, you too can win the heart of Jesus. John, the sixth chapter, verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. In other words, you are still hung up at the border. He continues, I tell you the truth in verse 53. This is John, the sixth chapter, verse 53. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my drink is real blood, real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. He's not speaking of cannibalism. He's not speaking of flesh. He's speaking in the spirit realm. And he said to his disciples, Do my words offend you? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And many of the disciples turned back and went back to Moab, to idolatry, to fornication, to the rituals of their religion. They would not go all the way. Jesus is saying, look, you must come. You must let me be everything for you. You must let me be the love of your heart. You must give yourself entirely to me. Some of you today are feasting on the wickedness of this world. You're feasting on the sin of this world. You're feasting on the desires and the ambitions of this world. You're feasting on darkness. Your lust is for the entertainment of the world. You've seared your heart with the wickedness of this world. And yet your heart is empty. You know you don't have the victory. 
How long will you wait on the border before you go back and no longer listen to this broadcast? How long will you go back and reject the bread of life? How long until you make a decision? Either to go back and live in the world and totally renounce Jesus Christ? Or come out of the wickedness of your heart and the lust of your flesh and follow Jesus all the way? How long will you tarry between two opinions? Are you Orpha, stiff-necked? Or are you Ruth, friend and companion? Is your heart satisfied today? Are you restless in your spirit today? Are you hungry? Are you hungry for more of Jesus? Or are you satisfied? You think you've found an in-between Heidi cave that's comfortable for you. When will you come and follow Jesus and end the famine? The bread is there. The straight word of God is at the National Prayer Chapel. It's also in a few other churches, but very few. When will you seek out a place where no longer do you compromise with wickedness, with the flesh, and with the devil. How long until you'll serve Jesus Christ? Almighty God, I know facing before us is the question of whether we will hang at the border or whether we will follow you all the way to Bethlehem, to the house of bread, where we will feast on you, Jesus, and be filled and satisfied and have every every sin and every demonic power broken from us. There is victory in the house of the Lord. Lord, would you bring your people to that decision today? Will you speak now powerfully to your people that the famine is over? Will they come now, Jesus, and partake of you and cast everything else off and not let anyone hold them back from you, Jesus? I pray in your holy name. Amen. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I want to thank all of those who helped with a great outpouring of love for Jesus financially that allowed us to send off a check to cover last month's radio bill. I could never have done it without your sacrifice. Thank you. 
And already this month, people are beginning to send donations to help cover the cost for this month. I want to thank you. I'm hoping that we can come to the end of this month and not have to do an offertory, but teach every day. That's where my heart is. Please, if you need the address, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to send an offering or your tithe, would you write to to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Just mark your check, Pilgrim's Progress. Now, I'd like to invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. We're located at the All Saints Anglican Church. Let me give you the address. It's 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. 22192. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. And there you will find all of the information about where we meet and when we meet. Sundays, 12 o'clock noon, All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, just off Route 95. My brother, my sister, thank you for listening to this broadcast. God bless you today. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. His glory with great joy With great joy To the only God our Savior Through Jesus